Let There Be Light. From Flashbangs and Frag Grenades. By Calchexis. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on League of Legends by Riot Games. Chapter 4. Crown. I'm sorry, Baron, but... No! Jinx, please, they'll be fine. Not a chance, Blondie! Jinx said, hugging both Pow Pow and Fishbones to her chest. Luck sighed and massaged her temples as she said, You can't walk into a meeting with the Ken Barons armed to the teeth. Says you. Honestly, Lux considered this situation to be mostly her own fault. She ought to have insisted Jinx leave her favorite weapons at home, but it hadn't really occurred to her in the moment, largely because those weapons were as much a part of Jinx as anything else. Now they were stuck in the lobby of Glask Spire while Jinx glared murder at the poor receptionist, who was just trying to do his job. He was even letting her keep Zapper, which Lux thought was a relatively alarming risk, but then, given the nature of the Kembarans, Lux doubted that there was a single one of them that lacked at least a sidearm, even when meeting with Theron. Maybe especially when meeting with Theron. You can take my guns over the cold, dead bodies of everyone in this room except Lux. Jinx said flatly as the receptionist again asked for her to hand over her weapons. For the love of Janna, Lux sighed, then held out a hand, saying, Give me Pow Pow and Fishbones. But now! Jinx held her gaze for a moment before buckling the way that Lux knew she would, and finally, grudgingly, handed over her weapons to Lux, who took them, one after the other, and brought them over to the front desk. She set them down with two dull clunks, looked the clerk in the eye, and said, I advise you take very good care of these weapons, because I assure you that if we receive them back and there's so much as a scuff on Pow Pow's barrel or a nick on Fishbone's chassis that wasn't there before, Jinx won't have time to find you. Isn't that clear? Crystal, he replied, his face going faintly sallow. Lux offered a smile, and for some reason he just paled further before gently scooping the weapons up and making a curt bow to her before bustling away. She turned back to Jinx, who was sullenly fiddling with one of the gold buttons on her jacket. It had stopped being her father's jacket at some point, although Lux couldn't quite pin down when that was. She really did look every inch the newly minted chem baron, even with the petulant moo she was wearing. That gilded jacket hung proudly over her narrow frame. Her hair was pulled back in two neat braids bound with simple brass fasteners that were similar to the ones she'd worn for their wedding, if less ornate. Her mechanical arm was polished to a shine, and her shirt and trousers were both clean and newly pressed, something that Jinx had taken great relish in doing. She had never pictured herself as the dutiful housewife her mother had always expected her to eventually become, but for some reason Jinx brought that out in her, and doing those wifely duties suddenly appealed to her. It also felt vaguely spiteful towards her entire family, and that was probably more of the central motivation than it ought to have been. Besides, Jinx needed to look her best for her debut to the Council of Barons, and laundry wasn't exactly at the forefront of her mind. She still hadn't said anything about her idea to respond to the Piltoven Council's edict. She had one, of that Lux was sure, but Jinx had been keeping it uncharacteristically close to the vest, possibly because she wasn't sure it would work. 
Maybe it was just for a dramatic effect. Stop fidgeting, dear. You look fine, Locke said, stepping close and brushing Jinx's hands away before pulling her jacket straight. Jinx flooded a small grunt of assent as Lux moved to her side and slipped her arms into the crook of Jinx's elbow. They cut a rather dashing pair if Lux said so herself. She had chosen a gown the color of polished silver with blue and gold embroidery. It was a long, modest cut that covered her from neck to ankle with sleeves that traveled to her wrists. She had combed her hair to a golden shine, and all in all, Lux thought that she looked quite nice on Jinx's arm. A bright spot of color beside Jinx's more subdued, zonite palette. I don't know how Dad did this all the time, Jinx muttered as they were directed to the elevator and stepped inside. Practice, I assume, Lux said as she tapped the button that would take them to the meeting room. I doubt he was any more confident than you feel right now when he joined the Chem Barons for the first time. Dad was always confident, Jinx countered. I'm sure he always appeared that way, but that's part of the trick, you know. Always looking like you know what you're doing even if you don't, Lux replied. The elevator began rising with a rapid swish of air, and Lux leaned her head onto Jinx's shoulder, offering her what comfort she could. This is gonna get messy, Jinx said. It always was. Jinx nodded, then said, I think I have a, a plan, but I don't know if it'll work the way it works in my head. I've done something like this before. What is it? Lux asked. Just an idea, Jinx said. But I'll need a lot of scrap and salvage to make it work. More than Billowak could turn up in a month, you know? Lux nodded, suddenly realizing why Jinx had been playing her plan close to the vest. Because without the other Canberans on board, it wouldn't be possible. This, then, would be her first real trial by fire. Lux knew that her wife was brilliant enough that whatever plan she'd come up with would work. Whether or not the Barons would support her in it, though... That was a complete toss-up. Even Renata wasn't a guarantee, and she was their best ally. She would support Jinx if she thought it would get her closer to her goal, but if that wasn't the case, well... Renata was an eminently practical creature, after all, which Lux respected. That meant it was up to the both of them to prove the merit of Jinx's idea, whatever it was. The elevator doors hissed open, and on the other side stood a vaguely familiar young woman... Her hair fell in a long, fetching waterfall of pink curls that trailed nearly to her heels around a lacy dress that suggested far more than it didn't. It was a gorgeous, flared gown of black, chased with delicately and purposefully tarnished silver, and the makeup matched it and her hair alike. Seraphine, I don't think I've ever officially had the pleasure, Lux said, holding out a hand. Seraphine took her hand and shook it gracefully, but her eyes lingered on Jinx, who raised an eyebrow and smiled before saying, Hey, I remember you. Didn't I blow up your house and shoot you in the face? Yes, you did, Seraphine replied pointedly. I still can't eat peanut butter without remembering that morning, thanks to that. Yeah, it happens sometimes, Jinx said as she stepped out of the elevator, and Seraphine fell into step beside them as they moved down the hall. Lux kept an eye on her from the side. She looked nervous, the poor girl was so young, nineteen, twenty at the most, and now she was playing political hostage. Well, everyone had their parts to play. Your parents are settling in well, Lux said after a moment, and Seraphine immediately perked up. They ask after you often, but I haven't had much to tell them. Oh. Oh, well, I'm glad, Seraphine said, her face breaking into a smaller, if more genuine smile. 
I was worried about them returning to Zon. People who try to better themselves by going topside are often treated like traitors. She sighed, then said, I suppose I probably have you two to thank for that not being the case. We made it clear that they were under our protection, Lux replied, then added, despite their device being used in an attempt to kill me. Seraphine grit her teeth, then said, I didn't know. I'm aware, Lux said. Old Lady Glask made us a deal, so forgive and forget, right? Jinx said. You work for me now, and you work for Glask. Besides, I'm still going to get my pink hat. Jinx turns to Seraphine, and the smile on her face stretched wider. Your parents were the tools. I want the bitch behind him. Camille Ferros, Seraphine said softly. Lux nodded at the name, then said, Jinx forgives more easily than I do, but I made a promise to her and to Glask that I'd let what happened with you and your parents go. So in the spirit of that, she paused. And Jinx came to a halt as Lux turned to face Seraphine and smiled before saying, Let's be allies going forward. I have a feeling we're all going to need more friends. Seraphine stared pensively at her for a moment, as if trying to decide if the offer was genuine. It was. Lux had no desire to go back to living every day lie to lie. It had served her in the past, but she was so tired of masks. The whole point of leaving Demacia was to leave those masks behind and be herself. Zon had offered her that, and she wanted to take full advantage. Okay. She finally said in a soft voice. Allies and maybe friends. Nodding again, Lux started walking again and said... We have a plan to answer the Piltoven Council's edict. Can I assume that Renata does as well? She does, Seraphine replied as she fell back into step. She always has a plan. I did get that impression, Lux said. Seraphine smiled faintly and said, I don't know the whole of it, but I have my part to play. I won't be much help to you in there, but if you could just do me a favor, please. Lux shared a glance with Jinx, then looked back at Seraphine and asked, Depends on the favor, I suppose. Trust, Renata. Lux grimaced. I suppose, she said softly. That we have very little choice in the matter for the time being. They stopped in front of a gilded set of double doors, and Seraphine wrapped a knuckle lightly against one of them. They opened in response, creaking faintly as the smell of cigar smoke and other intoxicants filtered out. The room was cavernous and built into the interior of the glass spire. No windows, which was good. Lux's contacts in the Glasgari ward had told her of the assassination attempt that had been made, and clearly Renata was taking no more chances. A massive hardwood table that had a deep blue gem at the center of it split the room in half, and seated at that table were the bad and worse of Zahn's underbelly. Cambaran Smeech, the twisted old Yordle, was seated in one of his cybernetic exoframes beside the slender and still youthful-seeming Margot of Vix, though Lux had an inkling as to her true age, which was kept at bay by Kem Hansman's cosmetics and other darker deals. Across from them was the bloated Baron Aramis, taking up two and a half seats wide. He wore a tailored purple suit and an absurd stovepipe hat, and Lux had no doubt that the so-called Baron of Taste would likely have quite a bit to say about this upcoming famine.
The crippled baroness of Karina Verazzo was next. Maybe the only person who was matched with Jinx in terms of a Piltoven rap sheet tapped out a bored tattoo against the table with her prosthetic arm. Something else she shared with Jinx, Lux noted with some amusement. And as they entered, she looked up and smiled faintly, which was worrying. Down from her, Lux counted three more. Karvik the Silver-Handed, well known for his grudge against the old money Piltoven House of Terrorist. Petrock Grime, whose chemtech solutions were found in almost every foundry and production facility in the city, and surprisingly, Saito Takeda. She hoped he wasn't going to put up a stink about Zack being aligned with them and trying to recapture him again. It would be a pain to have to kill a chem baron so close to the war. And of course, at the head of the table was Renata Glask. And while the seat to her left was occupied by a cloaked and cowled figure that Lux couldn't identify, the seat at her right was noticeably empty. It was both an offer and a test, and it was one that even Jinx recognized, despite her lack of political acumen. She steered the pair of them past the other chem barons, who each watched them with their own unique mixtures of suspicion, hatred, or curiosity. They ignored Seraphine, likely because of a combination of ignorance and malice. She was a known quantity to most of them, which only showed how little they actually knew. Glask nodded in greeting to both of them as Seraphine moved to Renata's side and was promptly pulled into her lap. More surprising was that Seraphine didn't fight it. She just settled herself on Renata's knee as if she'd done it a thousand times. Who knows, maybe she had. Welcome, Baron Jinx, Renata said in her richly accented gutlow, her voice given a mechanical buzz by her respirator. Baron Jinx, someone said derisively, and everyone turned to look at the metal-jawed Baron Petrock who was rolling a coin across his metal knuckles. His gutlow had a curiously stilted cadence to it, brought on by his facial prosthetic. What has our city come to that we're elevating filth like that to our table? Hmm? This filth saved three of your chemical processing plants from being washed out of the sun gates by a sumpfall, Renata said coolly. I would think that you, of all of us, would support her presence here. The coin came to a rattling stop between two knuckles. Petrock glowered at Renata for a moment before apparently deciding that discretion was the better part of valor and shutting the hell up. A ripple of amusement passed across the table as some of the tension dispersed, and Jinx took her symbolic seat at Renata Glask's right hand. Now then, since we're all here— What about Lenar? Baron Aramis interrupted. His gutlow was unpleasantly glutinous. Although Lux wasn't sure if that was due to his accent or to his triple chins. We're still waiting on her. Ah, yes. Glask relaxed back into her chair as her hand began to idly trace up and down Seraphine's side. Ken Baroness Lenar will not be joining us. She decided her Piltoven fluid baths and transfusions were more important than her loyalty to Zahn, so she left. A murmur of discontent started to rise, but before it gained any steam, she continued, saying, Sadly, there was a tragic accident on her personal transport as she was leaving. The lift engines failed, and it fell into the grey. Let us observe a moment of silence for our fallen comrade. A moment of silence was observed. 
although less out of respect than terror. And Lux didn't bother hiding her smile from where she stood behind Jinx. She had to admire Renata's sheer efficiency. In a matter of moments, she had made it clear that the Ken Barons of Zaun were all in this mess together, whether they liked it or not, and it was staying that way. And if someone challenged that assertion, then they were welcome to try and survive the reprisal. She really was a dashingly impressive woman. All right, the moment's over, Renata declared after precisely one minute. To the business at hand, we're all aware of the newly passed edict of restriction, so I won't rehash it. Theoretically, we have one mark to answer this ultimatum, however... She looked pointedly to Baroness Corinna, who met her gaze. Practically speaking, I doubt we have more than a month before shipments begin to taper off. I've already noticed a slowdown in my own business, Corinna said grimly. That was an accent that Lux had never heard before. There was something foreign to it. Ionian, maybe. And then we starve. Is that our big plan? Aramis spat. With all due respect, Glask, that's hardly acceptable. Renata turned her gaze to Baron Aramis and pinned him to his chair with a look. Lux watched as all his built-up bluster drained away like pus from a lanced boil. Aramis was a coward and a hedonist who kept his little barony in line with bread and circuses and very little else. The fact that he wasn't outright abusive to his constituents seemed to be the main reason he remained in power. The people who lived beneath his rule tolerated him because the alternative would probably be worse. Sweat beaded on his brow as he tried to recover some of his dignity. I'm, I'm just saying that we cannot simply allow this, he continued. They've made their terms perfectly clear. Jing's elevation to the baronies was out of line after her recent actions, and they want her, well, you know. Extradited? Lux asked, drawing the attention of the table to her, maybe in part because they hadn't realized she could understand them. Of course they do. They've literally chased her from one end of Valoran to the other and failed to capture her. Now, as always, Piltover has decided it's too difficult, and would very much like Zahn to do it for them. She said it all with a smile and watched the ripple of sullenness pass over the gathered barons. Which we won't, obviously. And who are you to decide that? Baron Takeda asked, leaning forward on his elbows as he fixed his beetle-black, bespectacled gaze on her. What place does a Demacian spy have in the halls of the barons? Agreed, Baron Grime added. This is a place for true-born sons and daughters of Zahn. Even that traitor, he gestured vaguely towards Seraphine, was at least born of Zonite blood, but you... Petrarch cut himself off, his gaze suddenly fixed on Jinx, who was staring at him like she was mentally dismantling his skull. She didn't say a word, she just stared. And Lux was content to let him sweat for a moment as he decided whether or not pissing off Jinx by insulting her wife was really what he wanted to do with his day. I hate to be the bitch in the room, Margot said after a long moment of threatening silence. But as much as I'm sure we all respect Baron Jenks, starvation and war aren't worth any of our lives, right? So why aren't we turning her over? She caught Jenks's eye and gave her a wan little smile as she said, Nothing personal, mind you. But you can see why I've got to ask.
Across the table, Baron Karvik scoffed and said, Not that I'm opposed to self-preservation, but we don't actually trust Piltover to keep their word, do we? Why should they? If they've already come this far, they might as well keep the boot heel to our necks like they always have. Karvik has a point, Karina said. We can't possibly trust Piltover in this situation. As appealing as the concept of instant gratification is, the Council has never been shy about trying to regain control of Zon. Plus, you know, Jinx said, finally speaking up, you'd actually have to pin me down to hand me over. Her rictus grin stretched a little wider. So that's what's going to happen. I'll give you some advice. Let someone else try first. She flashed a toothy grin as she waited for a response. Lux couldn't help but chuckle as there appeared to be no immediate takers. Before the argument could start up again, Renata, who had been sitting reclined in her chair idly petting Seraphine like a favorite cat, finally straightened up. It was a testament to her authority that all it took was the subtle creak of her chair to draw the full attention of the room, and even Jinx sat up a little straighter. As amusing as this cyclical conversation is, Barons Karvik and Karina have cut to the quick of it. We can't turn over Jinx simply because none of us can afford to trust Piltover to actually adhere to their side of the bargain. Renata gestured vaguely at the gem in the center of the table, and it flickered to life, projecting a geographical image of Piltover and Zahn. Currently, Piltover has us surrounded. Every major exit from the Undercity. Another wave of her hand and roughly two dozen points on the map lit up red. Has been reinforced with members of the first five cadres, as well as additional security. Scrutiny is so high that even legitimate merchants and visitors from Zong can't get through without weeks-long wait times. The reverse is equally true, Margot added. Even Piltovans who want to come down here can't. My vice stands have suffered for it. They're preventing a diaspora of Zonites pinning us here and then stealing the food from our mouths to heighten the threat of starvation, Renata said grimly. They're threatening genocide, my dear barons, all for the sake of their wounded pride and their terror of we who dwell in the dark. She pulled Seraphine down to lay against her chest, head on Renata's shoulder. And Seraphine did so with curious obedience as she looked at Jinx and said, Perhaps because they remember what happened the last time someone in that jacket sat at the table of the Canberans, and they are afraid of what might come. As stirring as that is, Aramis scoffed, that does not provide us an answer to that starvation. It is a threat, but it is one with teeth. Baron Smeech's exoskeletal armor creaked as he stirred, leaned forward and said, Will you stop toying with them, Glask? I'm too old for this shit. You have a plan and an answer. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, correct? Just get to it. I'm sure it has something to do with your guest there. He gestured to the cowled figure seated at her left. Spoil sport, Renata sneered. Lux had been wondering the same thing. The figure in the cowl and cloak was broad-shouldered, powerfully built, and tall. There was a casual violence in their posture, too. This was someone who had killed many times and was comfortable with it. Not a mercenary, either. Mercenaries had a certain swagger to them, a braggadocious manner that came from a lifetime of selling their sword arms to the highest bidder. Whoever this was wasn't for sale. 
Oh, the venerable Baron's speech is right, as are most of you, Renata said calmly. Zon has no means of mass agricultural production. We live on bare stone, and what little space there is is taken up by the people, even if we have the means, which we don't. We do not have the space to grow our own food in any useful capacity. She gestured to her guest, then smiled. Which is where alliances come in. I have been liaising with Noxian High Command for over a year now, and they have sent someone to determine if supporting us is a worthwhile endeavor. What idiot thinks a Noxian has any room to judge Zon? Baron Carvick snarled. If they want to help, let them. But I have no interest in dancing a jig for them and even less in licking their boots. Renata waved off Carvick's tirade. They're here to determine if we're a worthwhile investment, Carvick. We're all business folk here, aren't we? I think we can allow them that. Jinx looked genuinely surprised by Renata's revelation. I figured they'd want a piece of me, too, after I knocked over that statue of Bird Boy. Finally, the cloaked figure stirred, sat up, and when they spoke, something happened to Jinx that Lux hadn't been expecting. Jinx went ramrod stiff, and her eyes went wide. You always did lack focus, Jinx, the figure said. If it were up to me, I'd say Noxus is crazy to even think about helping you after what happened last time. You, Jinx breathed. You, aren't you supposed to be dead? Probably. The speaker was female, with the rasp of someone who had probably smoked as much as they'd breathed. Her accent was almost identical to Jinx's, though, rough but sibilant, and there was a deep huskiness to her voice, too. But then I'd say the same about you. Jinx? Lux laid a hand on her wife's shoulder. Are you all right? For a moment, Jinx didn't answer. She just stared at the figure. Finally, though, she seemed to jerk back to life and said, We can trust her. The figure cocked her head curiously, and Jinx continued, saying, She's a bitch, and a nasty one, but she's loyal. And she knows Zon probably better than anyone else here but me. How? Karina asked. Because I was born here, the figure said as she pulled her cowl off, revealing a dark, scarred, and raw-boned face. Her eyes and hair were even darker, though the latter was shot through with strands of iron-gray, and both Margot and Smeech started as they got their first look at her. Savika, Margot breathed. You're alive? Savika sneered. Yeah, although it was a near thing. After Silco died and the shit show that followed, I decided I was better off somewhere else. Figured I'd live out my twilight years breaking faces in Noxus, but well, didn't really work out like that. She was snatched up by high command, and now she's back home to decide if we're worth supporting, Renata said. The Grand General trusts her judgment in this, and she has a uniquely experienced viewpoint on Zonite insurrections. Jinx cackled and said, You can say that again. She's been through like two of them. Figured at least one of them would have killed you, you old bat. You're a liability, Jinx, and you always have been. Savika said grimly, pointing the finger of a metal hand at her. 
I know for a fact that if you hadn't been around, your old man still would be. Jinx stiffened and her face twisted with rage, and Lux tightened her grip on Jinx's shoulder. But I'm not here to dig up old ghosts. You kickstarted Silco's glorious nation of Zon, and now I'm here to figure out if finishing the job is even possible. Understand? Before Jinx could say something less than politic, Lux replied, We understand. And since this is Noxus we're talking about, can I safely assume there's some kind of criteria we have to meet to be considered worthy? Savika's full lips thinned to a blade-sharp smile. Lux, right? I've heard about your wet work. You've got a kill count almost as high as mine and you're half my age. I thought you'd look more impressive. So did a lot of other people, Lux replied quietly. That's why they never saw me coming. Shaking her head, Savika laughed, then said, Well, I like you. And my instinct says you've got a good throttle on the loose cannon over there, so yeah, here's the deal. Noxus can't help Zon at all as things stand. There's no way in or out of the Undercity for any major supplies, which means that we need to secure one. If securing a supply line was all Noxus wanted, that wouldn't be too difficult, Renata said. But it's not, is it? No. Like the girl said, Savika nodded at Lux. This is Noxus we're talking about. They want to show a force. They want you to prove that Zon is strong enough to be worth making an enemy of Piltover. How? Karina asked, leaning in. What do they want from us? The Sungate, Ching said suddenly. And Savika looked up in genuine surprise. And they want us to take the Eastern Sungate, right? How could you? Savika started, but Jinx interrupted. It's the only seaward passage in or out of the Undercity and the trade gate to the sea lanes of Noxus, Ionia, and Bilgewater. If Zong controls the East Sungate and it cuts off Piltover from half the fucking ocean and actually makes us kind of worth trading with, Jinx said flatly. Savika leaned back, looking stunned. How did you know all that? Because... Jinx replied. Dad already had that plan. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voice over a character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.